Welcome to Zero to Start Spotlight, a podcast about VR development that brings you inspiring conversations with immersive creators and industry leaders, brought to you by Oculus from Facebook. I'm your host, Ceciliana Trevino, co-founder of ARVR Women and Allies, the online immersive art, tech, and design community dedicated to increasing representation in spatial computing. Connect, share, and grow with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and ARVRWomen.com. Stepping into the spotlight is Richard Duck, Store Operations Manager at Oculus. On this episode of Zero to Start, Richard talks about how he and his team help guide developers as they prepare for publishing their titles on the Oculus Store. Richard highlights the importance of testing all aspects of your VR titles and how testing helps create community around your work. We also talk about the magic of VR, spatial audio, and how studying the history of games can help inspire creators as they develop experiences for the radical new era of spatial computing. All this and more coming up on Zero to Start. Welcome to Zero to Start, Richard. It's a pleasure to have you as a Spotlight guest today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Before we dive into your role at Oculus, I wanted to ask you about your first aha moment with VR. Yeah, so I actually spent some time thinking about this, and one of my favorite games of all time is Super Hot. Super Hot came out in 2016. It's a game where reality's bent, right? Time moves when you do. You feel like you're Neo in the Matrix. And I've played the 2D version for so many hours, so many times. And again, like it was actually probably one of my favorite games of that year when it came out. Getting a chance to try it in VR, completely different experience, right? You don't feel like you are Neo. You actually are Neo in this particular case, where bullets are moving at you at, at, a, at a slow pace. And you're just like, what can I do here to solve this problem? And it's a puzzle game. So you're actually now solving puzzles with your body in a space that defies reality. And that was an aha moment for me, because what it did was it actually, when I took the headset off, made me feel like, wow, I was someplace so different that couldn't exist without this headset. It was magical. When I first tried VR, the immediacy of I'm in the game, they did it. Yeah. Mobile technology, graphics computing all coalesced to finally get us to a point where we can be in the game. Absolutely. And that's that's the magic of it, right? Even in the first time I played Beat Saber, I wasn't paying attention. And then a block was flying towards my head and I just dodged it. I knew it wasn't real, but it felt real, right? That's wild to know that you can actually escape reality at any moment through VR right now. There's no time that it takes to get to these virtual places. Mm -hmm. You're just there. Yeah. And you actually understand the systems quickly too, right? Because you already know what reality generally is like. So when it becomes augmented by VR, it becomes that more exciting. Super hot is a game that encapsulates the magic of VR for you in that moment Mm -hmm. when you were like, the light went on. Absolutely. I've tried other VR games before that. and Some of them are just like as simple as a VR version of Doom, uh, for example. But that wasn't that was playing Doom on a giant screen, right? Again, super hot was the difference between like just playing on a giant screen versus being basically in the movie itself. Tell us about your role and how your team helps developers prepare for submitting to the Oculus Store. I'm a launch manager here at Oculus. And we ensure that developers, big and small, can launch their titles and even businesses successfully. What that means is we're providing information, documentation, guides, guidance before launch so you know what to expect when you're ready to finally ship your title. 
which includes things like technical review, publishing review, going over your assets, your trailers, making sure that your application is performant, which is actually a, a huge part of relaunching a title. And so what we do is ensure that whenever a consumer buys your game on the store or application experience, they should expect some level of quality. And we're here to make sure that every time a game launches, that level of quality is met. And that could even mean like setting up your launch date to make sure you're successful, making sure you're setting up your pricing correctly, helping with updates after launch because you may want to update your game, working on DLC, AOC. When you're ready to take off, we're here to make sure that you land successfully. And that's our role. We just want to make sure that you and any other developer can actually land and be successful at the end of this process. And with all the resources that you provide, you know, previous to COVID would go to events and connect with the community there. During your presentations, you show an informative video of the store submission process. There's one in particular from GDC 2020 that's available on YouTube. And the first thing you talk about is testing. Can you tell me more about the importance of testing for VR developers? Testing goes beyond really even just VR, but it's important for everybody. But particularly in VR, it has significant importance because testing provides the polish that consumers are looking for. And if you test your title and test it with a large audience, a diverse audience, people who don't play VR, people who are experts in VR, you have the opportunity to find out what you can do to get the most people to actually play your game. And that's why testing is very, very important. Because you may want to polish your idea just by talking to people. That's testing your idea. You could test your art. You could say, hey, here's what I think my game should look like or my application should look like. If friends, family, peers say, hey, maybe you could change it this direction. You're still testing it. Maybe you're building it and you're like halfway through. Are you having other people play your game? Are you having other people check out your game? Are you making sure that the new VR user can actually play it? Again, local motion is a huge issue for a lot of developers. You want to make sure that it's comfortable and everybody can actually, again, more people can play your game. You may want to see, hey, is my experience worth $10, $15, $5? Ask those questions. And what you're doing is you're testing out every single aspect of your title to make sure that's going to be as widely accepted and as, again, gives the largest audience possible a chance to experience what you're creating. Because you're making something different. You're making something that has a lot more depth. And again, back to the earlier topic, can actually change reality for people. You want to make sure that reality works for as many people as possible. And also gives the opportunity to build community by interacting with your peers. They actually may become your cheerleaders. And I really, really emphasize that building a community through testing and actually having other people test as well their titles can really be worthwhile. You'll actually get the opportunity again to meet new people who are going to give you hopefully honest feedback. And again, ask for honest feedback, ask for how they're really feeling about the title and help them out as well. You may learn some new ways to actually work on your title, maybe some new art, maybe some new sound, something like that. You'll build community through testing. That's a really good point. Early on as a beginner, you want to start thinking about your gaming community as you're building your game and maybe even building that community around how you are starting to build it because then you're seeding the future testers. And you're also seeding the future consumers and the future cheerleaders. There's a lot of ways that you can get friends, family, people you don't even really know that well on the internet to be excited about your title just by actually taking the time and actually putting yourself out there. And that's tough, right? I mean, some people, it's really difficult yeah. to, if you live in the middle of nowhere and that happens, us developers just aren't in a space where there's a lot of population. It's really hard to do that. So find an online community, use our forums, find other VR developers in your area. If you have the opportunity to travel whenever that opens up, I'm not sure that's going to happen, of course. Take the time to maybe say like, hey, I'm new to VR or hey, I've been working this title you know, for the last year or two. What do you think? Just find opportunities to get people to review it. 
And again, I know it's difficult right now. A lot of people are working from home and they don't have the opportunity to really travel, but there's still ways to connect. Just like just like you and I are connecting. The internet's a powerful, powerful medium for making sure that happens. Can you talk a little bit about the differences between someone who is just starting to make VR games versus someone who may have experience in 2D games? They seem to be coming with different assumptions on this new platform. Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I lean a little bit towards like, they're both going to be in the same boat. Because if you're new to just making any experience overall, VR is going to be a whole new world and you're going to have a whole different experience than somebody who's used to creating a 2D experience. One of the biggest things that I've personally seen from games that have gone from 2D to VR is figuring out new mechanics to make sure that the experience feels different and it is different rather than just being, again, a giant TV screen. Mm-hmm. And that's tough um, because it, it would be easy just to make it, you know, any game from 2D into basically a 180 inch TV right in front of you and you're still playing a game. But what can you do differently that allow the user to connect more with the title? How will you actually change the mechanics so maybe they do something really intense for five minutes rather than, you know, playing a hack and slash or an action game where they can press buttons for hours. So you have to take into consideration things like that um, because you are physically moving in space. What if you, you need accessibility options? Are you taking into account like height? Are you taking into account like vision? Are you taking into account again locomotion? And those are all things that are going to change when you actually move from 2D to VR. There's actually other better examples that people could talk about about this, but those are some of the things that I've personally noticed. And I would also say that, again, if you're starting in VR, take a look at our Unity course. We actually have a course available that to get you from beginning to learn Unity, not beginning, but like, you know, a little bit of Unity to actually making a demo that you can actually show people. I would actually say, take a look at that because if you're starting out, it is a wonderful way to actually get something made. That's the design, develop, and deploy course. So it teaches you how to make a vertical slice. That particular course is also really beneficial on the first chapter videos for everyone. Whether you're looking to get more technical skills, if you're looking at how VR productions work in terms of the pipeline. The first chapter videos really give a nice overview of specifics around design, what you're building, the terminology. There's a lot of 101 in the first few chapters, even if you aren't necessarily going to go on to do the more technical components. Yeah, I would say any and all developers should go and take a look at that course. Uh, It'll definitely give you a lot of insight on what to do. And if you decide to complete the course, you have a vertical slice. That is extremely cool just by itself to say I've made something in VR. That is an accomplishment. And if you have time to do it this year, I'd love to hear about all the developers that have done that. Can you explain a little bit more about the vertical slice and what that is? So like a vertical slice is kind of like a cake. You have a cake. I don't know what your favorite cake is. Mine is personally carrot cake. But (laughs) if somebody's making a really good carrot cake, you can actually just look on the outside and say, okay, I see the frostings there. I see they added nice little patterns. But what's actually underneath it? Is the cake good? Does it have the right amount of carrots? Is it sweet enough? Does it have raisins? I like raisins in my carrot cake. Some people don't. Again, accessibility, right? And you want to figure out what that looks like. So you're essentially taking a slice of that cake or your game and showing people exactly how it's built, how it's layered out, and give an immediate reaction right then and there before tasting it. That's what a vertical slice is. It gives you the opportunity to show what you're going to be making without actually making the entire cake first. I love that metaphor because... I also relate 
VR development to cooking a lot. And mm -hmm. when I'm setting up my project, I talk about the mise en place, right? The oh, yes, absolutely. Setting out your ingredients, making sure that your development environment has all of the components and plugins that you need before you start mixing the ingredients. That's super important. That's super duper important. Uh, you have to start in the right place to get to end up in the right place a lot of times. And if you have it all set up and good to go, again, that leads with like leads in with testing, testing your idea, testing your concepts, testing the art, the price, like what you think your product's going to be can actually guide you in that right direction. What kind of advice do you have for a beginner independent developer who is starting to take on all of these new roles as a solo developer? The solo developer? Uh, there's a lot to take in because you're doing everything. I'm going to say this again, but that's important where you actually need to build your social network. I think that's going to be critical. And also film, for example, right? Like being knowledgeable in other subjects such as film or even theater, even just watching a few plays, go watch your favorite play on PBS or something, see how lighting works, see what they're doing differently than what you think a game should look like. There's actually a ton of value in looking at the arts and then seeing how a set's designed. So like if I'm watching a play, I know to look to the right and see that something's about to happen over there or the character is going to enter stage left. There's a ton to, to know. And I think understanding the arts is actually probably one of the greatest things you can do as a solo dev. Because again, it's been done for so long. We've had plays and musicals and everything for thousands of years. Take advantage of that knowledge that's already there to figure out how to get people to actually watch what they should be looking for next or participate or gasp or sigh or laugh. Set those things up because, again, people have been doing this for a long time. So I actually would say one of the strongest things is being involved in art somehow. VR development is something that I thought I would be able to teach myself in a mm -hmm. weekend. You can iterate quickly. There are a lot of ways to do that even within Unity. But when you're trying to execute on your own vision, that takes more than a weekend, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, like, and, you know, sometimes like people knock out games in a game jam really fast, but I mean, necessarily be the complete version or final idea, but they started something. VR takes a lot of time. Again, why I recommend is like <laughs> watching plays because you totally see exactly how much work it takes to set up a set just so with the lighting correctly and everything. And that's more than a weekend of practice on a theater's part. They can't knock out a production without practicing it. They need to know exactly what's happening. So VR falls a lot into that same category where it is just a lot of practice, a lot of verifying that this lighting works, this costume works, this set piece works. I mean, why do, they, why do they call them set pieces in games? Because they are set pieces. You can definitely see, like I said, the direct tie between film and theater directly to VR. What Oculus tools are available for developers that help them ensure that their builds meet the Oculus Store submission guidelines and requirements to be on the store? One of my personal favorites are the new asset guidelines. We just updated those. So they actually have new, exciting ways to explain how you should actually create your assets. I would say for any all developers, sometimes thinking about the assets might be something lowest on your list. Not very high, somewhere in the middle, but they should be really important. Because again, it's one of those things where you go into the store, any storefront, right? You can go grocery shopping, you can go to a video game store, you can go to the Oculus store and buy games. You wanna make sure your assets effectively convey what your game is. And so that is actually, it's more than the tool, it actually helps provide you with the guidance to create your best assets, to create ones that 
look good. They actually fit your brand. They, of course, pass our review process. And that'll save you a ton of time. And you'll get a chance to start on it early. Again, it, it also kind of goes into testing. Like You may want to ask your friends after you work on your assets the first time, hey, what do you think about this? Would you buy this game? Right? That's, a, that's something that you can actually use as a tool for practicing yeah, whether or not you can actually like have the elevator pitch for your game and also see if your assets look good and I'll see if they pass. So you can actually kind of knock out so many birds with one stone. I really recommend going through those. Actually, just our developer site itself has a ton of information and best practices. Oh, earlier we talked about the Unity course, but there's also a ton of videos about how you can actually create these really great in-depth experiences. It's not necessarily a tool per se, but it has they're providing you the tools and the information to create the best in class VR experience that you want to, you know, sell to your consumers. And again, the game developer showcase was really great. But go through and just check out our guides. We have everything there you need to get started, like how to start, how to distribute, how to design, and take time to read through all of them. When you by the time you're done, you'll get a really good grasp of what you need to do and where you can start. And if you're already started, what you can continue doing better and what you can start working on. One thing I really liked also that was recently added was a tab that would let you select which headset you were working on. So it would give you that particular documentation. So whether you were working on the Go or the Quest or the Rift S, that was automatically filtered. Yeah. And that saves a lot of times because the VRCs are generally speaking, I'm using the, the VRCs are virtual reality checks. That's actually one thing you definitely want to use and take a look at because those are everything you need to pass our technical review. And they're different between platforms. And so like having those tabs was super useful. It gave developers like a way to kind of, I would say, organize what they're working on and make sure that they're staying, staying in track. What's an important expectation to manage when publishing to the Oculus Store? We talked a few things about like about the VRCs, the asset guidelines. I would say an expectation is if you don't plan around following those, it's going to take more time to get through. Now, it's not an expectation that you're going to have an issue every single time. But if you don't take the time to actually say, like, did I actually check my virtual reality checks? Did I see if everything's going to pass? Are my assets correct? Did I check the URLs I put in my metadata? Did I make sure my descriptions work out? Are my screenshots okay? Is the application performant? And if you submit, it's going to take more time because we're going to have to ask you to resubmit. And then resubmit if you only fix one thing. And if you fix two things next time, you still may actually not pass. So like taking the time to utilize the resources that we've given you to get through the first time, hopefully the first time, I'd like to see that happen, will save you a ton of time. So it can take more time. I don't want to say it's an expectation, but I would say if you don't follow those plans that we have set up, it will take more time. Another thing, especially if you're developing on Rift, is to please take a look at testing on different hardware. If you have the newest graphics card and a maxed out spec PC right now, and you submit an application and it's like, great, no, it works fine on my PC, that means that you're actually missing out on the rest of the audience, right? So again, like those are some things that you have to take a look at and make sure that your title works as well as possible on as many PCs as possible. If you have a friend that has a lower spec PC, maybe you can see if it works on that one. If you have an extra laptop that maybe has lower specs, try that. Try to test on different hardware. It'll save you time, spending time, verifying that your application is performant on as many pieces of hardware as possible the technical aspects that come into play after you've created this world. There's a lot of administrative components that you want to think about budgeting into your project time. I think certification for any platform is tough. It actually, it does take time. 
this is not just like a exclusive to our platform. It takes time for everybody. And one thing that practices again is just making sure that you check off as many of the boxes as you possibly can beforehand. Again, ask a friend to see if they actually notice the same things you do because you may think a title is running at the right frames per second, and it may seem fine to you, but like maybe your friend can't handle fifty frames per second, but your game should be running at a higher frame per second, right? You want to test that, or even you know, like can you actually play the game? Because like for you, you, it may be obvious to figure out how to start the game and get into the action, but for somebody else. It may not be, and that would be a long, that would be a testing blocker, right? If we can't figure out how to start your game, that means nobody else will be able to. So, <laughs> so like you could still ha- you can still you know technically get all of those correct, but then realize, oh, actually, I didn't. I should have made that easier for people to start the game, and that's something that would again open up your audiences and also make sure that you have you're actually going to spend less time going through the review process. And I think that underscores another piece of advice around iterating quickly, Mm -hmm. because you don't want to spend a lot of time polishing something that as soon as you get it into your first player's hands, you're already, you have to go back and make all these changes. Correct. Yeah. If you make a minimum viable product, right. Mm -hmm. Then from there you start testing very quickly. And I think that has been one of the largest eye openers for me transitioning into tech and into VR is thinking about getting something out as quickly as you can so that people, you can get that feedback and start to collect the data and respond to it. I mean, honestly, collecting data is another really good example of what you can do. Track what people think about your game as you're actually going through and working on it. It's important to make sure that you understand that 30% of the people you tested with weren't able to start the game or weren't able to figure out this thing. So how do you accommodate for those 30%? And it also kind of leads back into small things like, did you include a little bit of extra light in the corner of that room so people figure out to go grab that key? <laughs> you know, like that's those are all those are all things that are just you know administrative details. But if you iterate quickly and say, what if I just throw a light over there? Oh, everybody can now figure out what to do. Great. Now that's okay. That means more people are going to say positive things about my game. And that's kind of like I keep talking about testing again. But yeah, like iteration testing again testing as uh, with as many people as possible is going to just save you so much time don't be afraid to ask for help i mean it doesn't it any project i've worked on this is just kind of a general life thing but asking for help you know is a sign that you're actually wanting to be better sometimes so it's okay to ask for help if you need it We talked about how important it is to explore and understand the arts. What other fields or tools do you recommend beginner developers explore as they consider building an experience for distribution on the Oculus Store? Audio. I think it's actually extremely important to have great spatial audio because, again, like I need to know to look left, right, look straight ahead or behind me. Understanding how good audio can change the entire experience of a game is really crucial. Think about, if you get a chance, if you've experienced surround sound, how the difference between a surround sound is kind of like a flat, you know, wall of sound heading your way. It's immeasurable. You know, like the aliens right behind you to the left or to the right, or maybe they're right above you. So you get to experience everything a whole lot differently by having that sound set up correctly. So I'd say... Again, check out audio, figure out how you can make your title more immersive by having sound be a part of it. And that actually can also, again, make the experience better for people who have sight issues and things like that. Having really good audio cues is another great way to make sure that you can actually, again, have more people play your game and know where to look at, know what to do, and keep themselves engaged. A good experience with great sound is a difference between being a part of reality or being in reality versus being taken out of it. 
to me, it seems like as important as audio is in 2D environments and media, that it does take on a heightened sense of importance in VR. Yeah, because like the reality is so different, even crossing the street, right? We know to look left or right sometimes just because we hear a car coming to our left or right. Even if we don't think about it, we've all been taught to look left and right, but we still have the, we still will acknowledge the sound. It's a part of your daily reality and, and VR, when you're creating that new reality, sound should definitely be a part of it. You can't escape sonic reality of your world. <laughs> and so like, for example, there's actually a lot of trains nearby me. I know at a certain time of day, I'm gonna hear certain trains and that's what I expect now. So it's become part of my reality. So if somebody made Richard Duck the video game, they would know to put trains in at a certain time. So you'd, you'd, you'd feel like to look over to the left or look to the right and say like, oh, there goes that you know 9 p.m. train. But that adds a lot to the experience. So yeah, audio, keep working at it. Make sure it works really well and make sure it's immersive. How can developers be creative when following the Oculus technical requirements? You have talked in the past about examples like pistol whip and notifications and so on. Can you expand on that? If you got a chance to watch my video, you saw that I got a chance to reference pistol whip as a way to do entitlement checks. It's a creative way to say like, hey, for some reason, your entitlement check's not working. We're going to kick you out of the game. But it looks like a really cool, like you says, rated R screen, right? You're just like, oh, I'm not allowed to be in there. So it kind of gives you that emotion of being like, oh, why can't I play this game? What went wrong? So yeah, like it's really exciting to see like, even though it's telling you you can't play the game, right? It's still really exciting to see an interesting way of doing that because you'll remember that. You won't actually just be like, oh, well, the game just quit. You'll be like, no, the game quit and gave me something interesting during the quitting process. If you look through game history, there's actually a number of games, their history that have had ways to show if a game is like a demo or a bootleg and things like that. You can actually, I'm not gonna get to the long game history, I'm a video game historian. Some examples are like this, like one of the Mega Man series, I believe it was Mega Man X, if you actually are playing a bootleg copy, the game was actually extra difficult. So it was almost impossible to beat. And I could be wrong on that one, I'm not sure if it was Mega Man X or one of the numbered series. There's some games that ended up, you could actually get to the very last boss, but couldn't beat it. So you'd spend all that time and never see the ending of the game. <laughs> That's creative in a way where it's like, oh, I had a really good time playing this game, but I couldn't beat the boss. So even though you actually, even though you were basically kicked out of the experience at the very end, you're still going to tell your friends and be like, did you see how cool it was that I actually got kicked out of this experience? You know, <laughs> so it's still like, it's still even advertised it a little bit. And there were uh, other titles too, where, you know, it turned the game into a demo. It actually would stop working within a certain amount of time, or it would say like, cool, you beat the first level, you know, go go buy the real game. And so those are kind of like other examples on other platforms, but they still speak to what you could do in terms of that. I think entitlement checks are a great way to actually show that you actually care about all the aspects of your title and it shows in a way where it's like, okay, no, they actually did check the entitlements on their VRC list and also made it interesting. Maybe even on loading screens, like making sure your loading screens are interesting, right? Like that's something where I would say, if you can invest in making sure that's interesting, that's also really, really exciting. There's a racing game that has known to have like actual like arcade versions of the main company's kind of other games on there during loading screens. For VM historians, they know what I'm talking about. And so <laughs> I would say like when the first time that happened to me as well, I was like, wait, a loading screen can be interactive? That's really interesting. I didn't know anybody would do that. Or 
yeah, just kind of finding ways to make sure that when you are going through all of those checks, you are being creative and innovative. Again, the small details really do matter. You mentioned that you're a game historian. Can you talk a little bit about that? What can game history teach VR developers? Oh, I love old video games. I've been a big fan of them for a long time. People can't see it because we're on audio only, but I have a collection of lots of old video games I still play. I think they're inspirational a lot of times and give inspirational and foundational, especially if you play a game and you're like, oh, I see where this idea came from. Or wait, that's a really good idea. How come somebody has done that in VR? You can see the threads throughout history from beginning from Table Tennis for Two, which was running on an oscilloscope, to a pistol whip right now, right? You can see where threads of gaming all tie together. History of games, I believe, really helps us understand the future of games because it is a relatively young medium, but it makes more money than movies do annually, right? Like we have some really large franchises that make a lot of money every single year that influence culture, they influence art, music, influences the way we even think about technology and so our even use technology like our phones didn't used to be 3d powerhouses but now kind of all of them are because people are playing games on them i never would imagined in my old nokia doing anything more than playing snake right but then somebody's like actually i should play more than that and for anybody who's know what snake is it's a old video game that was on Nokia phones. It was a great time waster. Yeah, the history is really important about video games. Again, you can actually find those threads. You can find inspiration. You can find new ideas or find maybe that some of the ideas that you are working on now might actually be inspired and we might realize it, be inspired by a game that came out 10, 20 years ago and getting an idea to look at. How do they iterate? How do they figure out what's the perfect jump? What's the perfect speed that something should run at? What's the right sound for this level? How do they come up with the sound? And these stories are all available. This is one of the rare times where, you know, a lot of the creators and innovators in, in video games are still alive and accessible in some way. So if you haven't had a chance, take the time and actually just read about the history of video games. I guarantee you it'll help you work on your future titles. It made me think of some of the video series I've seen around the history of gaming graphics. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that really helps you understand the power of where we are today. Yeah, absolutely. Graphics are a big driver for a lot of it. I, I could be getting the story wrong, but I remember Tron, the mm -hmm. original Tron, actually had some issues winning special effects because people weren't like sure what to do with CG in a movie. It was so radical. Absolutely. It was like, wait, what? You can use computers to make graphics for a movie? Is that cheating? Is that okay? Like games also have a have a space in that because how do people want to see their games now? Do they want to see them looking like, especially if it's like a cartoony style game, should it look like something that's hand drawn or should it look like something that's a new 3D movie? That's a big question. And again, that's where art influences game design and history. <laughs> What helps keep you focused and in the zone when you're working? Do you have a quarantine playlist? Oh, actually. So what keeps me focused? That's a great question. Uh, I have a few like internet radio stations that I personally love. And I'm also, again, besides collecting old video games, I collect old music. I've been, uh, <laughs> you know, getting a lot of cassettes lately, which again, for which forces me to actually listen to an entire album. I have a tape deck right behind me. It's a great way for me to just kind of like listen to something different and stay focused Internet radio is really good. There's a ton of stations on the internet that have, you know, just music that'll 
And if you can find the genre that you like, they'll just keep on going and you don't have to worry about actually making the choices yourself of what's next because you trust the algorithm. Yeah, you're not algorithm. Actually, yeah, I don't use too. I actually, don't use too many algorithmic based services to be honest. Uh, I mostly do like internet radio, like as in terms of, like a DJ put together a playlist and things like that, because I actually prefer the the surprise of finding something new. Not because the algorithm, the algorithm was usually are pretty good at figuring what I'm guaranteed to like, but I actually want to be challenged every now and then. So every now and then, like the inspiration that the DJ, you know, was able to find to put this track in there that would make me say wow, I've never heard this before, this changed. My perspective on a certain sound really helps you throughout the day because it's just a reminder of like, again, of how innovation is important, right? And how like you should have those moments of surprise and delight in your games and your experiences. So I like that personally. And that's why I pick internet radio made by humans. Nice. Okay, cool. We'll be sure to include some links in the show notes. Okay, excellent. Is there anything else that you'd like to add about VR content, trends or news that you're excited about? The biggest thing for trends, I would say, is just like seeing the adoption of people who are, how do I say it, like that necessarily weren't video gamers, like weren't, and I hate using the word gamers, but like that weren't gamers before picking up a new medium and seeing the excitement that they're getting. Again, it's about surprise and delight. And so for me, like that's actually what the trend is for me is like seeing people that haven't really explored electronic yeah, entertainment as a way to pass the time, talk about their experiences and talk about what they do like, what they don't like, what they want. It's not really a trend, but it's actually figuring out like what the next wave is. Is the next wave going to be a first person shooter? Maybe. Is the next wave going to be a farming simulator? I don't know, but people might be interested in that. Is it fitness applications? Is it maybe watching your favorite tv series and filmed in vr somehow right like what is that i actually don't know exactly what the trend is globally but just from the experience what i'm seeing is people just want new and different experiences that can't be replicated anyplace else and i think that's where you royal you the game developer have a chance to create the future that they want right now Again, it's paying attention and also being willing to look forward as well. So looking at the present, looking at the past as well, but also looking forward while, you know, while listening to like the feedback from people that are just experiencing it. Thinking about building the future today is such a big part of VR. And it's another reason why it's an exciting place to explore. Absolutely. I'm going to go back to Superhot as my example, but I remember the, when I took my headset off, I was like, oh, Braille doesn't feel the same now. Should it feel the same after, I t- after I'm leaving VR? Should I expect more? You know, you, you begin to ask these questions about like, what is that future going to look like when it is the case where you can actually experience something like going to your favorite show, going to your favorite venue, maybe seeing your favorite play live, being part of it, playing an experience that, you know, you can only ever imagine, but then it's actually happening right now in front of you. In your living room. In your living room, exactly. In your living room, right in your own personal space. And think about the stories you'll be sharing afterwards too, which is also part of it. Because then you'll say like, hey, I played this experience. You need to try it. This is going to change the way you look at media or fitness or just games. You're going to just have those those conversations with people and again, connect with people in a way that hasn't happened before. Because how many times can we say like, I was able to play the climb and... I'm afraid of heights, right? Like, I don't want to 
necessarily <laughs> go climb a mountain, but I'm totally am okay climbing a mountain in VR, right? Or even playing like Richie's Plank Experience. A little scary, but you know what though? It actually got me to do something I would never ever do. And that's a story that I can share. And part of like the magic of being in VR is actually hearing the stories that are being shared. Well, here's to more stories. Thanks again, Richard, for being our spotlight guest. I appreciate all your insights on how to work with the resources available to get onto the Oculus store. You've covered a lot of your personal experience and insight that's sure to inspire our listeners. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us today on the Zero to Start Spotlight, brought to you by Oculus from Facebook. You can support Zero to Start by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Give us a rating and share this episode with people who want to learn more about breaking into VR. Until next time, happy installing.